Hello everybody, we are live on Facebook. It's another evening, um, our last Friday evening where we're gonna be having Becoming Healers. Welcome to everybody who's joining us. I am not alone as you can see. I'm joined by two incredible guests and we're so excited to have this final conversation of Becoming Healers. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your time. I'm super duper excited. I'm just gonna let the first minute pass so you guys can hop on. Um, hope you guys are keeping warm. It's ice cold in Joburg. Um, and I hope you guys are, are excited to have this final conversation. We've had an incredible first season. We are learning a lot about what it means as a clinician group to forgive South African healthcare. And I definitely think the conversations we've had have been groundbreaking in some way. I haven't seen clinicians get together and speak at this level um, anywhere. So I'm excited that Yang MD is doing something that um, is changing the, the atmosphere in some way, shape or form. Okay, guys, I want to introduce you to my guests. I'm not alone in this conversation. I'm joined by Joelle and Terry, but I'm going to let them introduce themselves just so you can get to know them a little bit more. Joelle, please tell the people who you are, what you do, and something interesting about yourself. Okay, uh, firstly, I um, wanted to just obviously extend my greetings to everyone who's watching, listening, uh, in whatever shape or form. Also, thanks for the opportunity you've given us um, to, to obviously have a great conversation between um, healthcare professionals uh, and etc. Uh, so my name is Joel Mpunakawa. I am a, uh, a pharmacist, qualified pharmacist. Um, went to Fitz University, graduated in 2015. Um, aside from my everyday uh, work, I am an athlete. I play rugby as well. So um, more than anything else, I try to be a jack of all trades, but hopefully a master of none. So that's that's my story. Thank you so much, Joel. It's a pleasure to meet you and to have you here. And I'm excited to hear what your perspective is going to add to this conversation. And Terry, can you please introduce yourself? Happy to. Um, as you said, Terry, obviously. And I'm a medical doctor by training, but my real passion is in public health. And so that's what I try to build towards every day in some way, manner, or form. Um, currently working slightly outside of healthcare and all of it with the purpose, of course, working as a management consultant. And something interesting about me is that because my dad was originally from Uganda, my name is Ugandan. So naturally in South Africa, I get to be Ugandan. But when I go to Uganda, because I don't speak any of the languages, I totally claim the fact that I'm South African. So there we go. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. That's quite interesting. I didn't know that about you. Um, and uh, that's, that's quite smart as well, that you can sort of leverage both sides of the coin as and when you need to. <laughs> and thank you both so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have this conversation. And for those who are joining for the first time, welcome. You are hopping on on the final leg of season one of Becoming Healers. I just wanna give you context for where our conversational journey has taken us throughout season one. So we started episode one with the intention to understand through picking out of our YoungMD conversational toolkit, um, what it looks like to forgive the South African healthcare system. We picked the tool that was a blank page and we agreed that that would be us trying to take a journey to understand what does it mean for us as clinicians to forgive South African healthcare. We've come to understand a number of things, many of which pointed us to the fact that although we have systematic challenges, much of the systematic challenges facing us are also experienced from an individual level. 
And then we used the conversational platform and we used the experiences we had with different clinicians to speak to what it would look like for us as clinicians in South African healthcare to forgive the South African healthcare system. The point of that being creating an enabling environment for us to be the pharmacists, the doctors, the occupational therapists, the nurses we hoped we'd be when we left graduation. We all know, if you've been watching at least, you'll know that the premise of this entire Becoming Healers conversation is this idea that although we graduate with a skill to assist people with taking a journey of healing in their bodies, we are quite ill-equipped to face the challenges and the dysfunctions facing South African healthcare, and that there's a need for us to evolve, not just to be clinicians who can function at bedsides or over the counter to support patients who may need medication, but to be healers of the space. And I'm excited that the level of conversation we'll have today will be just as inspiring as the ones we've had before. So just to give you some background about where we're trying to go today, about two weeks ago when we sat together, we did Going Together Part 1, and there we sat with a number of clinicians to understand what it looks like to together as the broader clinician group. But today we're going to sit together with two of these incredible clinicians and understand what that looks like from a sectorial perspective as a private and a public sector. An important thing to understand and think about is ecosystems and systems. Systems operate in an ecosystem and we can possibly postulate that we function in a healthcare ecosystem rather than a system. And the systems that function in this ecosystem are both the private and the public healthcare sector. And each system functioning in an ecosystem serves to serve the greater ecosystem, right? So an example I thought of was the transportation system. There are so many methods to get from point A to point B today. You could walk, you could drive, you could use an Uber. All of those things speak to the need of whoever's calling on that, serv on that service that they need at the time. But they all function within an ecosystem to make transportation possible for people. And I think it's important for us to as well, as we redesign and redefine healthcare as young clinicians moving towards a more unified outcome for healthcare, to think about what this ecosystem is and what the systems are that influence it and that make it work well or not well. Another idea is just this idea of things being functional versus fair. And I think a lot of the time as clinicians, we get stuck on whether it's fair rather than it being functional. And if it is about the functionality, then that's all we focus on. And that brings me to the first question of the evening, which I'm gonna to pose to you, Joelle. Um, and as you know, or if you've seen, we use four R's to help us unpack this conversational journey. So the first R is realizing. And the question that I'm gonna ask you tonight, Joelle, is, I just need to find my question, is healing a service to exchange or a gift to share? So is healing a service to be exchanged or a gift to share? Um, and is one more valuable than the other? So I'm gonna ask that to both of you, but Joel can take it first. Sure, okay. Um, thanks for the question. It's quite an interesting one. Um, I'm one to believe that uh, healing can't be a service to exchange because anyone can provide um, some sort of of service uh, at a, not even below par standard, but at a, at a, at a specific standard that could be um, filtered through many years. Um, I believe that in my profession, for example, because I can only speak for myself, um, I believe my work is, is, is a means to, to, to help people get to well-being and, and, and wellness. You know, I mean, if, for example, your mental uh, health isn't in check, then that usually filters through into your relationships, into your, your careers. Um, so I believe that being a healer is, is 
possibly the best thing I've, I could ever be because now I feel like it's a gift I can share with people around me. Um, well, cause I believe that what's the point of people being around me if they can't benefit from, um, the healing that I bring, uh, whether it's uh, pharmacologically or non-pharmacologically, um, people should leave, for example, my pharmacy, uh, with a feeling like, okay, that person went the extra mile, not just to just give me, um, what he's supposed to by law. Like I have to dispense a prescription and it's what he has to do. So it's that and a little bit more. I always go the extra mile to make people feel extra special. Um, I mean, there are a lot of people that we see, I mean, especially during this pandemic, um, there are people who are hopeless, who have no jobs. And uh, yes, the person needs his, his blood uh, pressure medication. Uh, um, yes, he needs his sugar diabetes medication, but what are you doing as a medical professional to make them feel uh, like they exist in this, uh, like you say, ecosystem? Do you understand um, what what role do they play in, in a bigger picture? Um, so for me, like I said, services could be rendered anywhere, anyhow, uh, in any manner. But a gift is very unique. It's very special. And when shared with most people, it's more it's taken more seriously, number one, and it is valued for longer periods of time. Um, so, yeah, that's that's basically what I have to say on, on that specific uh, thank you, Joelle. <laughs> thank you so much. Terry, do you want to take the question? Um, what are your thoughts? I'd love to. And more than anything, I'd like to build on what Joelle has just said, um, which is that healing is a gift, right, to be shared. And I think when we look at it that way, we realize that it's not just a gift that is limited to health professionals to share. I think healing comes in many different forms. And if we recognize that it's something that, it, that can be shared, then it means it's no longer limited to the formal or informal healthcare service providers, be it in the very formal hospital or clinic system versus the more traditional healers. I think healing is something that we can do for each other every way, every way, every day. And it's something that we don't, we, we do better when we are conscious of our ability to do that. But just to build on how even service providers can offer healing as a gift, I think that's an important idea to bear in mind as healthcare, you know, as healthcare providers, because it shifts your mindset a little bit. If you start to think about what you're doing being more than just a job and more than just a service that you're providing, but being falling in a more sort of holistic form of healing and recognizing that even just your presence there, more than your professional training, more than the you know, prescriptions you're able to write or the consultations and the diagnoses you're able to offer, just recognizing that your presence in that space can be healing to an individual. And it then shifts your mindset from just, oh, I'm here age to four providing a service to actually more than my professional training, I have an actual gift that I can share that I'm well positioned to do so. Oh, wow. I love how you both answered that. And I must say, I didn't expect that perspective. But I also like how you both almost emphasize that there's a greater value in it being a gift. So almost like um, there's a role for service in healthcare, but it really is the fact that people see themselves as positioned and able to serve people first. And I mean, more, more the, the, 
colloquial sense of the word serve, like really putting themselves out there and stepping in for the needs of people first, um, rather than just a, a, a transactional type relationship, which I think is extremely powerful and ex extremely important and helps us sort of step into um, the second question I have for you guys tonight. Although before I go there, I wanted to ask, do you think that um, they can coexist so although I asked the question almost saying um, it's one versus the other, is there a place where they can coexist, where we as clinicians value um, the role of, of us being service providers as well as using that to, to, to stand on the gift? Joelle? Okay, that's a, that's a brilliant question. <laughs> Um, I honestly believe they can coexist, but obviously to, a, um, to an extent. Um, if you think about it, I think the, us, the service itself is a platform you should use uh, for your gift, if, that, if I'm making sense. So because you have this gift, you are able to, to, to provide a specific service to um, a, a greater community, right? And uh, yeah, I think they, can, they have to coexist actually, but the, it being a gift needs to needs to outweigh uh, um, you just overlooking uh, it as a service, right? So like, I, again, I'll, I'll bring myself into the, the equation by saying, because I have a gift of healing, I should use um, the institution, the way I work at, to expand on that gift, to, to, to share that gift with every single person that, that comes into this uh, institution, you know what I mean? Because you see different people from different races, different uh, walks of life, and um, because I have this gift of healing, why not share it with every single person? Um, that, and that obviously uh, plays a big role into promoting health and wellness, and wellness rather. And uh, that's what I believe, I guess. I don't know if I answered your question. You did, you did. Thank you. I'm just going to let Terry go before I summarize. Um, I, I have to agree that they both have to coexist. And I think that part of the dysfunction we experience in in both systems, right, in both the formal public and the formal private, part of that dysfunction is that there's a lack of recognition of the fact that healing is more than just a service. And I think it's, I mean, there, there are a couple of reasons behind that, right? The dysfunction, I mean, is like quite material. We don't have the equipment, we don't have the buildings. And so that adds to frustration and it becomes very difficult to see yourself as a healer instead of just a service provider. Um, but that said, I think there's always, if we emphasize and if we remember that we are healers before we are professionals first, I think there's room even within the existing dysfunction to tap into some of that. And you might find that nothing else changing, all things being equal, we might actually end up delivering a better service than what we're currently able to offer to to patients and to the people who rely on both systems. And so I think it's definitely an important mind mindset thing to recognize that actually healing is both a service and a gift and we need to tap into both of those every day. Wow, I absolutely love where this dialogue is going because I think what you guys are saying is fit, like, tangibly difficult to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's really easy to 
to lean off of, especially the gift part of it. Do you know what I mean? So if you think of, of this idea, we started off in the beginning about ecosystems, functioning in systems. We have very clear delineations between what a private healthcare system is and what a public healthcare system is. And, and it can almost be very difficult for you as the individual clinician to see how your gift can serve that space if you're not transacting with the, the skill or the professional service that you have. But I think you said something so powerful, both of you, just this idea that they must coexist. We need to be able to live with the consciousness that says, what I do here transcends the ecosystem or the system, but must also come back and serve the ecosystem or the system in a, in a really powerful way. And that helps us sort of enter into this Part of the conversation where we reconcile ourselves and obviously the point of reconciling is to help us understand where we fall as the as a clinician group in the current healthcare ecosystem and the question i have to ask you both there is what should the role of the clinician then be in this healthcare ecosystem um, is it assumed that we have sort of one type of role or function to fulfill here and how do we better engage it and that question is really coming from much of the ideas um, that you both shared just this realization that we, ne we are necessarily trained to manage the organizational structure of it all but we also have this gift and ability to heal and should that be able to transcend beyond just the bedside and be assisted in how this ecosystem functions, what does that look like and how do we help ourselves assume those roles more readily? Joel? Okay, you coming in hot with these uh, fire questions. Um, but I believe it's all, again, it's a, it's, it's a mixture of both scheme of things, um, has to be viewed, I suppose in, 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 in two different ways, because the people that we're supposedly sharing our gift with have a, a specific um, perspective of who, of who we are and what we do, right? And we also have our, our own roles to, to, to play and to fill um, in health and, and, and wellness. So I'll give you a scenario. So a patient comes in, for example, in, in a pharmacy, he or she, for that matter, um, assumes that you know everything that has to do with, with, with um, medicine and, 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 and getting better, right? That's his perceived, uh, uh, I don't know, it's his perspective of your role, rather, right? And that's one-sided. I believe that you should know the fact that you have a gift, number one. You need to, 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 to back that you have a gift because a lot of people doubt the gifts that they have. And, and that obviously... Uh, it fills down into how they treat their, their patients or some people would say customers and it just breaks down, right? So I believe that you need to be in tune with the gift that you were given um, from God and uh, you need to use that gift to, to, to let people view you not just for, for, for your role as a professional but for your gift as well. Um, again, it's a very tough question. I'm not sure if I answered it but I tried to... <laughs> Uh, to the fullest capacity. So that's what I, I, I would have to say. I think it, can, it, it is assumed and unassumed at the same time. Thank you so much, Joel. Um, no, I think you did an excellent job at answering it. Um, I'm just going to summarize after Terry speaks. I think I actually had the same challenge as Joel. Um, but I think it's important, I think, with every gift that one has, 
number one, it's important that you're aware of it because unless you're aware of your gift, it becomes very difficult to use it and use it tactfully and use it strategically. And so I think that in, in every situation as professionals, even within the, 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 the systems that we operate in, across public and private, but also within the ecosystem, I think it's important to recognize and tap into our, our power more than the status that our professions afford us, more than you know, the, the, the gifts, the services, the skills that we have, but really just tap into that innate thing that leads all of us into the professions that we're in. And I think that's how we're then able to sort of transform from within, even with again all things being equal within the ecosystem thank you both so much i think you guys um both did an excellent job at answering that question and i agree it was a challenging question um but i think it's important for us to sort of navigate um this type this type of, of thought process and i think i agree with what you guys both said to carry the gift with meaning you need to see yourself in the context and 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 that context, let that context expose what your gift is, um, but have meaning to the patients that you're serving on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think you carried the question really well. Um, and I think that helps us sort of land a bit um, into this idea of what it looks like to re-educate ourselves, which is our third R. Um, and there I really want to speak to your experiences personally and anecdotally in the private and in the public healthcare sector. Um, knowing what you know now, about both healthcare sectors. What do you find is working well in, in these healthcare ecosystems that should be kept if we're gonna come and work towards a unified healthcare ecosystem? And what do you, what do you find? <laughs> Why are you guys both laughing? <laughs> like you both look so broken, what did I do? <laughs> Joelle, your turn. <laughs> wow, um, shucks. <laughs> Okay, so, so the question is basically what is working and what isn't. Uh, obviously, given our experiences in both the public and private sector. Um, so I'd have to start with the private sector because I've been in it for, for longer than, than I have been in the public uh, sector. Um, I think for me, I'd, I'd have to start, unfortunately, with um, what's not going well for me. Um, so I was a conserve, I'm not gonna name obviously the institution that, that, well, that, that I was in. Um, and I had actually before then actually, let's, like I said, I was gonna start with the private sector. So I was an internet specific uh, institution. And um, after a couple of months, I quickly uh, understood that the making sales on specific products became more important than than, 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 than giving um, the patient uh, what they actually need. Do you understand? People would be pushing for sales, um, trying to make money on a specific day in that specific institution, um, whereas people weren't treated and weren't, weren't healed. You know, they, they weren't a one step closer to healing. Um, so again, you move from, 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 from a gift uh, sense to a service provider sense. And for me, that is where I draw the line. Um, at no point in, in time should your profession pre uh, precede your gift as a, as a healer rather. So 
the things that are not working is that people lose focus and they lose a sense of why they're here, what they're doing and why they're doing it. Uh, that was the biggest issue for me. And I've seen this with a lot of colleagues, a lot of uh, people. And, and, and because of that, um, your patients who's supposed to hold you in not necessarily high regard, but um, in a sense of, 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 of faith and hope, start leaning towards being disrespectful to the profession that you bring because now they view you as a professional and not as a person who has a gift that needs to be shared um and that was in the private sector but now in the public sector the biggest issue i have is accessibility for example you have many people who who are in townships who are in uh, rural areas who can't uh, who don't have enough money and capital to to, to, tr to transport themselves to a place of, of healing, a place of, of, of medication and et cetera. Um, and you find a lot of people, um, for example, when I was um, a comm serve, I worked in a, in a small town and uh, you found people coming like 300 kilometers away only to get Panado and ibuprofen as, on their prescription. Now you ask yourself, okay, so, this could have been accessible at a garage or a spaza shop, for example. And this person came all the way just to obviously, to, obviously to, 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 to get healed, to, to, to get a step closer to healing and comfort because it's, you know, there's a saying that um, sick people are the most grumpiest. Uh, you know what I mean? And if I'm not healing, if I'm not at a hundred percent, then what was the point of coming here? You know, and you see the, the disgust actually in, in, in these people's faces. And it, you can only, your heart can only bleed because you're like, sure, number one, you know, the state doesn't have enough money, not enough money has been pumped into uh, healthcare. Uh, people see healthcare as, as something that you don't really need. Um, they put other luxuries, you know, first. And it's, it's quite sad. So those are the things that are not working uh, for me. But the things that are working is that we are producing a lot of healthcare professionals who have a different mindset, who want to change uh, systems put in place in the bigger ecosystem. And it's quite uh, reassuring. I mean, you've got young adults um, who want to, to, you know, put their mark on, on, on this earth by improving the systems that are currently in place. So for me, um, the best way we can improve is to improve accessibility to healthcare. Um, a person who lives in, 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 in on like Clifton Beach should have the same accessibility to healthcare as a person who's in Matatiele or or Queenstown for that for that matter, you know. So uh, that's my take on both sectors. Terry, I'm gonna let you answer, but I have to ask this question. For me, this like <laughs> I have to. I'm sorry, Julie, you're not done. <laughs> so you said something so powerful at the end about like access and. For us to prove to ourselves, I guess, to the system that the system is functional, it needs to speak to the same service rendered, regardless of your socioeconomic standard. That's, for me, where the dilemma of functional versus fair is. And that's why, for me, the transport system makes sense. Everybody cannot get uber black. But the transport system is functional because it doesn't matter if we're trying to get to the CTICC, I can go by foot, I can go by a taxi, and I can go by uber black. And it all depends on what I'm able to pay. So how do we, because I think that's our wrestle as healthcare professionals. We hold um, the threshold of service and excellence to its fairness above its functionality. 
So what should the true goal be? Should we be fighting to be more functional or should we, fight, should we be fighting for the equality and the fairness? And I think there's a lot that, that sits around that fair bracket, which is true and which should be the thing that I guess makes healthcare healthcare. But I, I wanna hear your thoughts on this as well. Like, how do we reconcile functional versus fair? What makes a good healthcare system? Must it be functional or must it be fair or does it carry both um, well? That's definitely a hot one. <laughs> and Lenato, am I correct in understanding that you're trying to bait us into a debate on the NHI? <laughs> no, I have said no such thing. <laughs> but if it goes there. <laughs> um, okay, I think, let me answer the first question first. Um, around what's working and what isn't. And I'll keep it brief by focusing on what I think is working. And, and I'll only speak from the perspective of the public sector because that's the only sector I've ever experienced in my short professional career. Um, but I think three things that really stand out about the public sector, I mean, current dysfunction notwithstanding, I think what's amazing are the pockets of optimism that you'll find even like buried within the dysfunction, right? Is that it's very rare that in an entire hospital of 900 beds that you'll walk into all wards and everyone will just be completely and utterly defeated by the dysfunction of the system that we all have to work in every day. I think that's, that's one thing that absolutely still amazes me to this day is the pockets of optimism that you'll find even within the crumbling and dysfunctioning system. I think the second thing speaks to the optimism, which is the dedication of individuals and how that is powerful enough to transform not just a patient's life, not just a ward, but can result in entire hospitals that, I mean, you look at and you think, my goodness, how is this a public sector hospital? because you have the same challenges as everyone else, but you're just doing so well. And that speaks to the dedication of key individuals, even within the system. And then the last thing I'd like to touch on is the ability that people have to rally and really, really come together and work together, regardless of it being for a particular cause that affects all workers or even a particular patient at any given point in time. Um, and so those are the three things that I think work and work well, and it would be great to see them expanding. Um, to touch on your second question about what is the trade-off between functional and, and fair? Whew, that is a hot question, but if you'll allow me, I'll tap into the definition of universal health coverage. Um, which is the foundation of the NHI and all other sort of universal healthcare coverage um, systems that are that exist in the world. And it, the, I think it speaks to three things. It speaks to number one, everyone having access to good quality healthcare that does not result in financial ruin. And fundamentally, that's, that's just it. And the key components to pick up there is that it's universal. So absolutely everyone needs to have access. 
and it speaks to quality and that is a very important one because that is something that is highly inconsistent both across public and private and even within public right is that there's some people who would much rather go to a helen joseph over a barra and that's just in Gauteng. we won't speak to the liratong versus tambo versus helen um, and that's where the quality really comes in and then the last part which speaks to not facing devastating financial ruin speaks to the, that's where the fairness comes in is that i shouldn't be a rich person or of a certain socioeconomic standard or within a certain tax bracket in order to access quality care and so i think within that definition of universal health care coverage is the answer and i think that's definitely what we should strive for as a country but also as as a planet right because when it comes down to it if any one of us have even the slightest chance of being the best version of ourselves all of that hinges on two fundamental things your health number one whether or not you're in good health and your ability to access healthcare should you need it and number two education and education i think is another debate for another day but i think realizing universal healthcare coverage will take us a long way towards giving absolutely everyone on the planet or even in the country let's bring it back right absolutely everyone in the country a fair chance at life mm. i love it absolutely absolutely agree um and i think you 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 really brought us into the segment re-educate so nicely because those are the things that you want to hear but i want to hear joel do you agree with with terry um do you have anything to add joel are you frozen on my side okay you know, terry, you're making it difficult uh, <laughs> can you hear me yes, I can, uh, hear you. can you hear me now yes can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Joel. Okay, cool. perfect. Um, just to add on what on, on what Terry said, <laughs> Shat, um, again, it just boils down to accessibility, and obviously, um, like Terry pointed out, on universal healthcare and the benefits. But then at the end of the day, we also need to, to, to think about the implications we would have um, in terms of like financially for a country like such as South Africa. Let's be honest, we're not the, the greatest in terms of, of finances. Our GDP is nowhere close to other uh, big countries in the world. However, I believe that, uh, yes, it is good to have uh, like access to good healthcare, quality healthcare, but, this is where health as a system in a big ecosystem plays a very big role. Take, for example, the, the, the pandemic we're all going through that reduced or restricted people from their normal luxuries. And the luxury that they want to have the most at this specific time is health. So in my opinion, why not, uh, you know, just reshuffle finances to, towards health because clearly that's the last thing we can that, that, that we're holding on to is our health we want to be healthy we don't want to catch this virus we don't want to to get uh, our young ones you know um to nothing so people have to emancipate their minds in that sense they need to realize that health first and foremost is nothing you can buy 
it's only something that you can get and develop over time. So if that is not put into place, then um, I don't think we'll survive. No one will survive. Um, so to, to answer your question, um, I think we need to be fair in, 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 in healthcare. We can't be functional all the time because functional is okay this person's prescription has expired i cannot dispense this prescription but fair is that this person is diabetic and needs his his medication in order to survive so functionality is is is, is, a, is a case of of morals and sometimes morals don't apply in healthcare it's either you're going to save this person or not uh, you know so that's 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 what i have to say on that issue <laughs> Oh, guys, you came for everything. Thank you. Um, that's a lot. Sometimes moral just don't apply was the one thing you said that hit me hard, Joel. Um, what is the other thing that you just said? Oh, health can't be bought. And I mean, that's that um, in itself, by virtue of what we do, <laughs> and the fact that people pay all the time to engage us, um, makes it makes, makes even that a point of discussion. You know, then why do we why do we sell what we sell? Why is it a, an income generating stream for us? Um, and I guess it's because of, of everything else that healthcare is. And I love, I, that's what I'm enjoying a lot about this dialogue is we're coming to a place where we're recognizing that there are people who have sold themselves out almost in, a, in an intent and with a mission to really help people and to change their lives. But they, it's our ecosystem. It's the many things that drive healthcare. It's the many things that make it possible for us to render this service or to share this gift that make it difficult for people to access healthcare, that make it difficult for us to consider its fairness. Um, but I also quite enjoy Terry's assessment of the universal, the, the universal healthcare coverage. Um, and just that we need both. We need, we need it to be accessible to everybody, which makes it fully fair, but then also cost-effective. Um, for everyone as well, which is something that neither of our sectors currently achieve. And I think that's why it's powerful for us as clinicians to try and understand where we fit in in this whole picture. Are we constantly going to be the commodity that's used and shuffled from left to right um, between each sectors and almost bowing to whatever the system or ecosystem is there? Or do we have a say in how this actually goes. Um, and this almost helps us get into my next question, which is where we get to realize, like, what does it look like to build something different? And I think even in creating this platform and YoungMD, I've always desired and envisioned a group of clinicians, young clinicians, like you said, Joel, who were inspired enough to redesign and redefine. So if we're saying these current models don't work, what does, what does that look like? And how does it serve the clinician on the ground and the patient as an end user. So please can you both tackle that question? Oh, I guess it's my turn. Oh. <laughs> Go for it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, so obviously in the most in my ideal world for healthcare, um, I would obviously tackle accessibility. Um, like I said, there, there, there's been a lot of issues where patients cannot um, uh, come to a place of healing uh, because of transport, for example. I believe in bringing that healing to them 
uh, how do we do that? Um, there's an initiative, I don't know if you guys know, it's called a Pillow Pepper Train. So this is a train that goes around the country, um, providing obviously healthcare, like obviously minimum, uh, obviously primary, primary healthcare, because you can't now um, bring a, a surgeon to every part of the country without a heavy cost, you know what I mean? So they literally go to, to places like Matatia, to, 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 to places like Tuwa in, in the Eastern Cape, um, like literally hard to reach places and they provide healthcare, they provide um, analgesics for the elderly, they provide uh, um, stuff like endometriosis, for example, which is uh, granny's best thing. You know, every granny loves a bit of oflexin, you know, and um, that's what I would, I, I would obviously attack. Get the healing to the people. The people shouldn't come for healing. Sometimes people don't know that they need healing, you know, so bring it to them and, 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 and it will be better. I mean, like if you bring, for example, a ton of, let's say, uh, tramadol to people who have neuropathic pain, uh, they're in the village um, and you know, he obviously now, or, or she, for example, this granny is used to this pain. She's been living with it for like the past 10, 20 years. And then you bring this magical tramadol drug and literally solves all her problems. That person will be grateful for the rest of her life. Not because um, she got this magic drug, because you took the time um, to come to her and like, listen, um, you need this. This will make you feel better, you know. And it, it's like there's, there's no better feeling than a a satisfied patient. Not even a patient, a satisfied human. You know, the biggest uh, struggle I think people have is satisfaction. Whether it's job satisfaction, satisfaction in relationships, the list is endless, right? But at the end of the day, if you're satisfied. That is the best feeling ever, you know. You can't tell a hungry man to, 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 uh, to pray about his hunger. Just give him a, like bread so he can eat, you know. So a lot of the issues we we fail to tackle them because we we always try to find loopholes around the situation and not go through it. So yeah, accessibility big thing. So obviously it will have a transport cost, uh, but I think um, there are certain other initiatives in the country that in my opinion, don't work. And this has nothing to do with healthcare. For example, Sanral. Now that Sanral has been implemented, nobody's allowed to cross uh, provinces. The country's losing a lot of money, you know what I mean? Whereas um, clinics uh, like, or even, for example, Barrow where I was born, just by the way, um, people are, are, are sitting there in queues forever, you know? They're sitting in queues. There's not a, enough um, healers in one space. So accessibility, number one. Number two, providing a platform for a lot of healers to take, uh, you know, their stand, you know what I mean? Because it's, let's be honest, it's very difficult to, to, to get a, a job uh, in this country. Um, you can be qualified, you can have the best grades, you can have the best experience, but it would take you three to six months just to land a job um, to prove that you are a healer, you know, and you have this gift that you want to share with everyone else. So, and yeah, that's, that's, that's my ideal work. And um, I know it, it, it might not be practical, uh, but it could be functional uh, in, in that sense. You know, we can obviously reshuffle a lot of funds in the world. There's a lot of things that we, as a country we've understood that we do not need, um, you know, and uh, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say. I love it, Joelle. I have another question in my mind, but I want Terry to answer first because <laughs> you guys say a lot and then you bring a lot to my mind and then it becomes a lot. Terry? <laughs> sure. 
So I think when it comes to what we need to realize, I think two major things come to mind for me. And the first one is realizing the full definition of healthcare, of, of health rather, because healthcare is something very different. And the full definition I'm referring to is the one that the World Health Organization uses, which is that health is a state of all-encompassing well-being, right? It's social well-being, it's mental well-being, it's physical well-being, it's, I mean, to a greater, lesser extent, it's economic well-being. And I think once we recognize that health isn't just waking up and going to a GP or the clinic or the hospital, like just that realization will do wonders, right? And that, rec that realization needs to feed into the system as well, because right now what the healthcare system is supposed to provide is health promotion, health prevention, um, curative services, as well as rehabilitation. But we know that our healthcare system, both public and private, are disproportionately skewed towards curative services and we don't have enough promotion, health promotion, we don't have enough health prevention. And all of that is a problem because it takes away, it's a, it's a system that is designed to take away from the health of the individuals that it is meant to serve. And so I think the first thing we need to realize is how we need to somehow re-engineer and redesign the system such that it is able to deliver maximally. And that is something that will serve not only patients that rely on the system, but also will ease the frustration that a lot of clinicians face as a result. The second thing, the second thing that I think is important to realize is, again, removing ourselves from the system and being not just the healthcare service providers, but as the intermittent patients as ourselves and even the patients as a whole. The, all the patients together and recognizing that with healthcare, there's a certain amount of agency that you need to exercise in order to reap the full benefits. And unfortunately, what we have right now is people that are wholly dependent on the system and on healthcare providers, which means that if you're coming in at 2 a.m., you are dependent on an intern who hasn't slept for God knows how long, who is overworked, and you're depending, you're putting your entire faith and trust in that individual. Whereas there's certain things that you can do as, as a patient before you even present, right? Just taking a bit of time to understand, okay, if I received a green tablet at the clinic last week, let me take it one step further and read the box because I am literate. I'm young, I'm literate, I'm on WhatsApp every day. So why can't I read that the box said co-amoxiclam or whatever the case is? And so I think that's the realization that needs to happen as well across the board is that all of us as individuals are the primary people responsible for our health over and above the service providers that we then rely and depend on to deliver a service that we hope is of a decent quality. You, <laughs> you guys both said a lot actually. And I think what you're saying is so powerful. Just, yeah, I guess just taking, re reallocating the responsibility of health, not just to the people who have the power to change it, but to the people who are trying to experience it. Um, and I think that that's something that's 
if I may say, absent in our context, even as we are taught in our academic institutions, we are not taught how to empower people to be agents of their own health, one. So I think that's something that's deeply powerful that you mentioned, Terry, but I also want to go back um, to something that Joelle said about access. In this, in this part of the conversation where we're trying to realize and redefine and redesign healthcare and respecting the, the value of having it being universal, respect your, respecting the value of having us all understand the definition of health, having us all understand the power of agency. What does it look like and when do we as clinicians come to the point where we realize or at least strive to make sure access doesn't mean entering a facility? Like, my, I think my greatest struggle with access to healthcare is it only begins at the facility. And even in our minds, to the point where you don't see yourself as an agent of healing or health outside of that context. And the implications are fine if you're the intern. But imagine if you are the consultant who has a skill and you're so highly specialized, but also so deeply needed, not just in contexts that are highly academic, but in contexts that are deeply rural and and, and impoverished of that level of service. What does it look like for us to be almost moving access? What does it look like for us to innovate for a healthcare system where instead of people striving to move between public and private, they vacillate freely between the two? Joelle, it, it was you, you started this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I opened a can of worms there. Um, but again, obviously, I believe that accessibility cannot be complete without you as, as, as the healthcare professional um, being accessible to everyone else. So you can't, you, accessibility can't be a one-way street. It has to be a two-way street. For example, I am preaching for accessibility uh, for uh, other individuals to, 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 to acquire health and obviously healthcare in the biggest scheme of things, but if I myself is not, I'm not available and accessible, it's pointless. Because obviously people can always meet you at the door, but if you're closed, you can't provide anything. You can't, you can't share your gift. You can't provide a specific service that will obviously enable the person to become better, not just at health, but obviously at life. Because like, like Terry said, your, your, your health is it's, it's all encompassing. Like it encompasses a lot of things. Uh, not just physical health, emotional health as well, you know, socio-economical socio uh, health as well, because if you um, are healthy, you're able to do so much more than just sit at home, for example. You can think of brighter ideas to improve your life, improve yourself. Um, so I believe that we need to be accessible as healthcare professionals because, and, and with that being said, we need to literally move away and change this mentality that Yes, I am a professional. People need me. I do not need them. Uh, the reason why people need us is because people are there. And if there's no people to, to, to need us, then we're just other individuals just roaming around, you know? So we are needed because there is a, there is a, a deficiency somewhere and somehow, right? And we are there to mediate and to, to get rid of that deficiency. So... Yeah, accessi again, accessibility is the biggest thing uh, for me in this, in this whole conversation. If we're not accessible, it's pointless. So, again, that's what I have to say. Thanks, Joel. Terry, do you want to take a, a, a spin at it and also just maybe speak to the fact of, like, are we winning in this battle to accessibility? 
Um, and if not, how can we begin to win? Oh, that's an interesting one. I think um, access begins with us realizing that health isn't just curative. So again, it doesn't begin with you consulting um, a healthcare service provider and doesn't begin with you entering a facility, which I think you alluded to. I think where we might begin to win, and again, this is something that to a greater or lesser extent, um, we have the current COVID pandemic to thank is because there's a lot of movement around using telehealth to ensure wider access, right? And the, the, the logic behind that is very sound. Um, so in South Africa, like if you look at SIM penetration in the country, we have, we're at 160% of the population, which means on average, each individual has 1.6 SIM cards. Um, which is significant, right? Because it tells you that people, if they have a SIM card, they probably have a phone, whether it's a smartphone or a, or a feature phone is, is neither here nor there. And then you see the government start to leverage that, right? Because every day, 1 p.m. without fail, with your lunch, you're getting a COVID SMS from the government telling you that, listen, check your symptoms, check, check your this, check your that. So I think that's, getting us on that road towards realizing wider accessibility through the tools that we actually have access to. Um, we have mom-to-be as well for pregnant women who, who, you know, you find out you're pregnant and you have this mobile service that you can subscribe to where you'll get push notifications when it's time for your checkup, you'll get fun facts, you'll get reminders about the importance of antenatal care. And, you know, there are all these things and we can definitely do more, but I think increasing access to health begins with expanding our definition and then using the tools available to even if we can't deliver curative services over over the phone perhaps we can deliver some health promotion messages we can deliver some health prevention and in other countries in africa they've done that really really well i mean the m health is is huge right in countries like nigeria because they recognize that we may not be able to put a clinic or a hospital within 10, 50, 100 kilometers of every individual in the population, but everyone has a cell phone in their hand. And how do we leverage that to increase access to health? So definitely, I think it's it's a space that exists, mHealth, telehealth, all spaces that are booming and that still have the capacity that we can still leverage as a country to increase accessibility to healthcare without building hospitals, without building clinics, without doing all those really expensive things that, I mean, it's questionable whether or not we can even really afford those. I love that. I absolutely love how both of you just tackled that. And I think, Terry, what you're emphasizing just about us as clinicians seeing the journey of health being beginning at prevention and then ending at cure at rehabilit and rehabilitation is quite critical to us not only just feeling like the system is functioning but can become more functional and i think if, if, if we begin to see it that way if we begin to see that there are so many more opportunities to intervene to assist to transform than at the curative level um, we can begin to celebrate our successes like you're mentioning how telehealth is completely transforming how people are staying away everybody 
under the sound of the president's voice knows what COVID is. And it doesn't matter whether they understand English or whether they're literate or not, they know it's happening. And they know they need to take care of it themselves with regards to it. And so I think what you've mentioned about what we've spoken about, about access for me is deeply crucial, especially in shifting the paradigm for us as a clinician group to recognizing that where we're going and what we're trying to build is not to make sure the curative and rehabilitative aspects of health are absolutely sound and stunning, but more that the, the entire journey of experiencing health from prevention all the way into all those is more seamless, is more accessible, um, and it's more real for the patient. And I think the sense of satisfaction we can get as clinicians knowing that, hey, I made sure a, a, a teenager um, condomized and is now safer from STDs. You know, I made sure a sexually active teenager is testing for HIV and AIDS. Those are wins and those are victories. And I think oftentimes, because we're so focused on the curative and rehabilitative efforts of healthcare, that's why we feel like it's so dysfunctional. And that's why we often feel like we're, we're, we're far behind. But I think even, even globally, our, our country can compete, especially with the efforts we've made, especially in, in HIV and TB prevention and cure. Um, and I think even moving forward, COVID, we're doing well as a, as a country as well. So I think what you've said about access for me has been really powerful and has been really transformative in making sure we as, as healers move in this direction, being well aware that we have a greater goal, um, that we have a, that we have a better yardstick than what perhaps our predecessors have used as something that's functional and effective. And because we're getting to the close of our season, I cannot close the season without asking you my favorite question. And my favorite, favorite, favorite question to ask any clinician is, what is your hope for South African healthcare? I ask the question because I believe hope is more than just something that inspires us. It gives us answers. Um, so if you would please help us close the show by answering what your hope for South African healthcare is. Joel? Sure. Um, okay, so my hope for South African healthcare um, is to, number one, for healthcare to be free. Um, I, think, I think more than anything else, it just boils down to the, my definition of, 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 of what health is, and it's nothing you can buy. It's, the greatest luxury in life and you can't put a price tag to it. So I believe that um, health care should be free and it should literally encompass every single person living in the country. Um, I know it's, 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 it's not a, the greatest thing to bring up. However, um, I think the COVID assistance uh, in the country, um, it, it excluded refugees and, and asylum seekers, right? So in, in a situation like that, it's, it's very sad uh, because if you now display symptoms of, of, of COVID-19, now you won't be able to be uh, screened, number one, you can't be screened, you can't be uh, treated, you can't be uh, put in self-quarantine because number one, you're already in a refugee camp. How, you, how can you quarantine for 14 days where there's a a lot of people around you and it's massively uh, packed. You know, one, well, I would like the country to be accessible to everyone. Well, that's absolutely powerful. And I think just your last line, I'd like the country to be accessible to everyone, says it all. Um, thank you. Terry? 
Um, mine is quite simple. I think it's come out in this conversation a lot from the very beginning. And Rato, you actually said at the beginning, which is that every single person, regardless of socioeconomic circumstance, should have access to quality health care. I mean, that's, that's my enduring dream. That's my hope. That's something that I sort of what intend to work towards realizing in my lifetime as far as I can, um, because I think it's such a powerful thing. I mean, if you give someone that and you give them education, that's, I mean, you've really transformed someone's life. And I think given our country's history, it's, it's that much more important that we invest in those, you know, in, in that social capital that you can give someone. You can't give them anything else, but you can give them health care, you can give them education, and then you can watch them fly, right? Thank you both so much um, for this conversation. It has meant so much to me. You guys spoke honestly, you guys spoke truthfully, and I think anybody who was listening could not have left changed, could not have left trying to consider how they can show up better as a clinician or how they as a patient can take on the responsibility of taking on their health and taking care of themselves better. I appreciate your time so much. And to all of our guests who featured in season one, thank you. We are about to close season one. I want to thank you all for your time. Thank you to everybody who's watched, who's commented and shared. We will be back for season two. We will unpack another tool and take another journey of becoming healers. Thank you for joining me. Good night. Bye.